Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hi, everyone. This is Dong, your host today on a Bit Cryptic. Sometimes you won't see the actual value of a technology until there's a pressing economic need. Uh, advocates of cryptocurrency in the United States have been largely exposed to Bitcoin being used as a speculative investment or perhaps digital gold for some, but they don't see how this technology for its promises of social impact and financial inclusion is, is being adopted in emerging markets and elsewhere around the world. In, in these regions of the world, it's being used as an enabler of alternative finance, giving people a tool to uh, get a footing in the economy, buying, purchasing goods and services, expanding their small businesses. Uh, our guest today is uh, George Donnelly. Uh, he'll talk more about this theme. Uh, he is the uh, coordinator of Dash Latum, currently located in Colombia. George has been on uh, a year-long campaign uh, on the ground and going door-to-door in this uh, Latin American region and helping people and uh, the businesses there uh, adopt this new financial technology and really listening to their stories and trying to understand the challenges that they face. Um, he's worked with uh, merchants uh, all across the spectrum, anywhere from you know food and drinks, beverages, um, industries to electronics and, and IT. So with the Dash team there, uh, George is meeting uh, new people and, and educating them about money and technology and what's needed uh, for them to, to make purchases and to exchange goods and services. So George, uh, welcome to our program. Hola, buenas. Thanks, glad to be here. So, George, tell us about the region where you're currently doing your field work, right? Um, and I think it's it's it would be useful to understand um, about uh, the region of the world uh, there, you know, its economy and the people and geogra- geography, because it gives us a context of uh, what you're dealing with. Sure. Well, uh, our main uh, area of operations for Dash Latam is in uh, Medellin, Colombia. Um, we're also in a couple other Colombian cities. We're also in several Venezuelan cities, also in Peru, Guatemala, uh, Ecuador, uh, Madrid, Spain. And, um, you know, when we're talking about Latin America, we're talking about a different, uh, quite a different culture. I've lived here in Colombia for about 20 years now. And um, the there are a lot of things to take into account, um, but mainly it's, it's less expensive to operate here. People are more used to operating with cash. Uh, people are, do not make a large use of, uh, of credit cards. And so, um, also the, the government, uh, laws and rules and whatnot that are on paper, there's, a, there's usually much more severe than what is, uh, what people live by in, in real life. 
there's a disconnect there. There's a bit of a resistance there. People always uh, looking to avoid uh, all of these onerous government regulations. Um, the Peruvian economist uh, Hernando de Soto wrote some interesting stuff about how um, the, the the government, corporate kind of white economy uh, and all its regulations, uh, how it kind of stifles what he calls the informal economy. And the informal economy is huge in Latin America. And I think there's a natural fit there with crypto. And that's, that's what we're exploiting. That's what we're working on. So why does the informal economy, why is it such a, a huge share of, uh, of the country? It's because the, the government, uh, you know, for whatever reason, like, People get into government and then they think that their job is to put down a billion different rules on paper. And, and all they're thinking about is how are we going to make everything orderly and make lots of boxes for people to check and lots of forms to fill out and triplicate. And somehow that's going to make everything all right. But the reality is all that does is throw up roadblocks to development. All that does is create obstacles for entrepreneurs. And in the United States, you know, you, you, you talk to people and you say, I want to start a business. Okay, well, first thing, register it with the, register it with the city, register it with the government, get your business license as if you needed permission to have a business. But here in the developing world, although that exists and it's more onerous, really, I think that, for example, in the United States, people uh, don't have that attitude like, oh, first thing, you got to register it with the government, get your license. They just more like they do it. And then the government, from time to time, they don't have all the enforcement resources to make all their rules and regulations effective. From time to time, they swoop in and create problems. But basically, the government, for whatever reason, whether it's because they are an oligopoly, there are people who have this scarcity mindset think, well, we have to reorganize society to protect what we have and, you know, screw you to the rest or let, let's, let's even actively exclude them. Um, there's also a technological, educational gap. But the end result is that people here frequently use uh, a recent survey from a reputable source. I don't remember what was precisely said that I think it was around 64% of jobs in Colombia are in the informal economy. And many of the leaders in the world, in, in terms of the, the percentage of, of the workforce that's in the informal economy, are in uh, Latin America. So this is a region that's, that's, that's ripe with the situation. It's not just Hernando de Soto's Peru. It's not just Colombia. It's really um, uh, in a lot of places in mm. Latin America. And in this formal economy, uh, I assume there would be... A great deal of a large number of small to medium businesses or a family owned um, businesses, and you're dealing with uh, a lot of uh, merchants and uh, helping them to understand uh, how this uh, new payments technology uh, could help them. So, uh, could you explain like what a typical business or merchant uh, look like there? Well, they have a small shop. I'm not sure how to measure it, but, you know, they may, if it's a restaurant, they may only have space for maybe 20 people, 
to sit down at any given time. Um, frequently, the owner is present. Frequently, it's not a chain. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are a lot, a lot of small businesses like that. And they get their customers from the local community and they deal, a lot of them deal mostly in cash. So they're mostly operating with cash. So, so is this the same population where statistics, you know, by the World Bank and uh, other organizations uh, point to as people who are unbanked and they don't have a uh, a financial uh, account or relationship uh, with a you know traditional financial institutions. There is a huge amount of overlap between those two populations. Yes, mm-hmm. frankly, myself, I don't find it useful to talk about the unbanked mm-hmm. because it's not about having a bank account. It's about the way that they do business. It's about their attitude towards government. Cryptocurrency is inherently a uh, technology that requires people to step outside of the box, you know? So it doesn't really make sense to point, to, to frame what we're doing in terms of who's connected with a bank or not, right? That's, that's kind of thinking inside the box a little bit. Like, oh, they're the unbanked, so obviously we have to bank them. Mm-hmm. No. They're the, the, what we should point at is the informal economy, because at the end of the day, the informal economy is really a more real and free, a more libertarian economy. Those are our people. They deal mostly in cash. We don't, we're, we're not going to bring them a Dash or a Bitcoin or whatever in order for them to have a bank account. We're going to do it so that they can have cash that is uh, extremely challenging for the government to seize or to tax or to track or whatnot. And so also so that they can cross borders with it because there are, there are many obstacles to crossing borders with cash right now. Mm-hmm. So as, as a merchant, as a, a family owned business, uh, what kind of business problem are they facing and, and where does uh, your team come in? Well, every business wants more customers. And so what we do is, we bring them, uh, we give them entree into a community of people who prefer to pay with cryptocurrency or people who are completely new to cryptocurrency that we, we give them a little bit and then they spend it. And then, of course, now that they're into it and they like it, you know, a certain percentage of those people, you know, become part of that first group, the people who prefer to pay crypto, who get crypto who want to see where it's going to take us and who want to, who want to use it more often. So basically the, the basic offer is just for bringing them to customers that, would, that they wouldn't otherwise have. Hmm. So then this would require a lot of education and uh, community organizing and just really talking to people uh, one-on-one. Is that a sort of part of uh, how, uh, your campaign works or, you know, what, what, what is the typical day like when you're engaging uh, with, with these merchants? It, is there, and you know, does it feel like you're, you, you have to prepare it 
these formal uh, PowerPoint decks. I mean, this, you know, because this, this is such a very different um, mindset and a very different landscape than, you know, here in the U.S. Yeah, basically, um, it's about it's about moving things forward. It's about taking small bites and moving things forward incrementally. You know, uh, I or one of our other 20-some-odd uh, sales representatives that we have across multiple Latin American countries, you know, may visit a new merchant and give them our 30-second sales pitch and hand them a flyer that talks about the benefits of accepting Dash. And then I, you know, I say, you know, walk to get them to install the wallet, uh, maybe give them a little bit of Dash, uh, talk about it. And then once they say yes, then, uh, you know, we, we do further things like we produce a printed QR code uh, that they can display that looks nice, has the Dash logo. We uh, create, we install uh, our point of sale system, which makes it very easy to professionally accept Dash. And then we have a, an educational uh, process via media, videos, images, and whatnot that we send to them uh, on a regular basis via email and WhatsApp. And then we do events where we uh, like to, so we work with concentration strategy. We may have a neighborhood where we have 40 merchants. And so we'll pick one as our base and we'll invite them perhaps anywhere from 20 to, uh, I think the largest event we did was nearly 200 people. And each of these new people, we will teach them about Dash really quickly. We'll get them their wallet, we'll give them a little bit of Dash, and then we'll send them off to all the different uh, stores, you know, so that they can have a real experience of seeing, you know, what it's like to send and receive payments with Dash, and what it's, you know, and that Dash is actually real money. You know, you can use it to buy something right now i think it would be helpful for uh, the audience to know you know why why not have them uh, use bitcoin accept or receive bitcoin or uh, even you know let's say a non-cryptocurrency why not uh, use something like uh, paypal or square or some other you know payment uh, system well, first of all, here's the challenge with Bitcoin. Uh, you know, I go into the restaurant and I'm presented with a bill. Um, you know, hope you enjoyed your lunch, sir. That'll be 23,000 Columbia pesos. Okay, I'll pay you with Bitcoin. I make my payment. Who knows when it's, it could be up to 24 hours before there's confirmation on that mm -hmm. payment. Mm -hmm. So am I supposed to, as a customer, am I supposed to hang around for 24 hours? You know, because the merchant, they don't operate on huge, huge profit margins. Uh, they, they're not going to risk giving away free lunches. But the fact is that Bitcoin has become unusable, digital cash. And that's, that, was, that was a purposeful decision. Uh, and the, the decision was made many years ago. Whereas Dash, the payments confirm immediately. Every payment confirms immediately. Uh, the equivalent of at least five confirmations within two seconds. Anybody can test this for themselves. You know, not only are the payments instant, you know, and you can see that anybody uses the wallet can see it, but also nobody knows really who has a Dash, uh, a Dash account. No, nobody, it's really hard to know who's using Dash. 
And it's, even if they know that you're using Dash, they, they can't really, it's challenging for them to know how much Dash you have. It's impossible for anybody to, uh, to, to freeze or seize uh, Dash uh, balances. So Dash uh, gives us, and also Dash has private send, which enables you to trustlessly mix your Dash. So if you're really concerned about your privacy, you can take your Dash balance and you can mix it. And, and you don't have to trust anybody to do it. It's done by our, our global network of uh, almost 5,000 nationals. And then, bam, your, your Dash comes out clean on the other side. You know, it's very hard for it to track. So Dash gives us, you know, instant, instantaneousness, privacy, great liberty. So that, that's why that's why we're doing this with Dash. Also, Dash has a governance mechanism that actually works and a self-funding mechanism. You know, if I wanted to do this with Bitcoin, I would have to go out and either beg for donations or I would have to somehow sell it to the merchants. They would have to be paying for the privilege of accepting uh, a cryptocurrency. So it's, mm -hmm. unfortunately, it's not practical. You know, I wanted to start this years ago, uh, almost uh, right after Bitcoin came out, but it just it just wasn't practical until recently. And I don't see what other crypto I could be doing it with other than Dash. Right. So your uh, practical on-the-ground experience uh, informs uh, your view that uh, this is a you know a, a practical and pragmatic choice um, as a, a an alternative uh, payment mechanism uh, for uh, these merchants for these people um, because uh, Bitcoin is too uh, volatile and uh, it takes um, longer to confirm the transactions which is not uh, convenient and economically viable. Uh, for these merchants, and um, it's uh, decentralized. Um, there's not the kind of middleman that um, gets in the way, uh, like uh, Square or some other traditional um, uh, payment uh, uh, processing platform. So uh, <clears throat> that's quite interesting. So when you are uh, making the pitch uh, and meeting with merchants, uh, can you give an example of a success story, and then an example where you was not you were not as successful, and you know um, compare and contrast uh, those experiences. Well, for example, we have a merchant. Uh, they're called Costillas and Burgers, which it's a small restaurant chain. It's called like Ribs and Burgers is the name. They have, I think, three or four uh, small restaurants across the city of Medellin. We've done a number of events with them. Um, they have uh, supported uh, our promotion in many ways. The merchant is very happy, looking for, to do more things with us, looking to promote Dash. Um, I would consider that a success story uh, for the merchant. Um, there are other merchants that I think they're, they don't really know what to make. You know, I, I remember one, a small supermarket 
where we went in and, you know, we talked to a guy who was in charge and he was like, yeah, let's give it a try. And then the, the, then we found out he was, he wasn't the owner. We had talked to the owner and then the miscommunication. And, and a lot of times we run into this thing where people are like, you know, what, you know, you made an independent money. It's, it, this is not run by the Colombian government. What, you know? <laughs> And it just doesn't fit into their, their current um, conception of the way that the world works. And so, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that merch decided not to continue with us, you know. And there have been other cases like that as well. For example, somewhere uh, we, we, sign, we sign them up. And then, unfortunately, for whatever reason, we aren't able to get anybody to go there. And, and spend any dash within two or three months. And so they say, oh, this, this doesn't work. Nobody came. I'm done. You know? And that, that happens. That happens. But today we have, I believe we're approaching 700 active dash merchants in Colombia. Uh, more than 100 of those are in uh, we also have several hundred active merchants in Venezuela, mostly in Caracas, a couple, maybe a little more than a dozen in Lima, Peru. And we have a few others spread around in other places. So I would say our success stories far, far outweigh uh, the difficulties that we've run into. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it's, it's You mentioned Venezuela. Now, the economic landscape there is a lot more hostile. Could you tell a little bit about, you know, what your experience have been like in Venezuela? Well, um, it, the, the experience is very similar, frankly, to Colombia. But the, the great problem is, for example, businesses, the, the government, the federal government of the country is basically, in the past, has taken steps to wipe out the small business sector, which is our, our main kind of uh, field in which we plant uh, the seed of Dash. And so we have had a large number in the past that simply went out of business. They couldn't continue. They left the country and whatnot. But we also have many situations where we have a, a large number of small businesses, especially those selling basic necessities such as food, um, medicine, medical supplies, and car parts that are thrilled, that are thrilled with Dash and do a significant business in Dash and absolutely love, love us and love Dash because at the end of the day, uh, the Venezuelan Bolivar is a, is a disaster. Um, in, and the government rules around banking and making payments and how much you can spend from your bank account or withdraw from your bank account every day and how much the, the minimum salary is basically make life impossible unless you go outside the box that the Venezuelan government has created for its people and use something like Dash, you know, which gives people, you know, like you, the Venezuelan bank accounts, you can only withdraw maybe a couple dollars per day. But Dash, you can you can move as much as you want for a fee, and the payments confirm instantly within a question of two seconds. And Dash crosses borders as if they didn't exist. So I think it's especially useful in Venezuela. 
Mm-hmm. And we are, um, because there are so many people in, in difficulties, in trouble, uh, schools collapsing, uh, people, whole neighborhoods not able to get clean water, uh, food, etc. We're going to be launching a project called Dash 8, where um, uh, small community organizations and, and other kind of uh, nonprofit organizations are going to be able to request uh, funds. Uh, support for specific projects and people outside of Venezuela are going to be able to donate using Dash and the money will arrive instantly without any intermediation and people will be able to spend the Dash at our uh, hundreds of merchants in Venezuela or they can they can sell it uh, for whatever uh, currency other currency they want in order to start uh, rebuilding uh, Venezuela or at the very least save more lives because people are dying today from lack of food and lack of clean water, lack of electricity, et cetera, in Venezuela. Mm. So it turns out a lot of the lessons learned in Colombia were useful for uh, your work and operations in Venezuela. Uh, so this, this region, uh, there was a question that I asked about um, from the beginning about the, uh, the unbanked uh, population and, and, your response was, you know, um, uh, perhaps we, we shouldn't um, uh, frame it that way, uh, but it's it, it's hard uh, not to ignore um, a recent player that just entered this uh, this market, um, namely Facebook's uh, proposal of a their uh, new Libra cryptocurrency, and uh, their vision is that they are going to you know, foster, bring uh, financial inclusion to the world's, you know, 1 billion uh, plus uh, unbanked population. Uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on this proposal? Uh, I know that a lot of people have kind of voiced uh, their, their own uh, commentary about, you know, whether uh, this is a, um, a boon for the industry or, you know, whether there are risks involved. I think at the end of the day, this is uh, positive because um, obviously the cryptocurrency ecosystem as it stands, uh, we are falling short. I look back at the last 10 years and I feel like we kind of missed our window. We should have been doing the kinds of uh, mass adoption work that uh, Dash Tam is doing. We should have been doing it many years ago. And so I think this kind of development is inevitable and... Um, it has a certain level of courageousness on the part of uh, Facebook and the, the other participating organizations. At the same time, um, it's not a real cryptocurrency. You know, it's not, not really decentralized. So, um, I mean, let, let's, uh, let's have it serve as, a, as another entryway into um, the, the crypto ecosystem, kind of a, a stepping stone to the kind of place where something like Dash or, or in some senses, Bitcoin is, which is something that's uh, highly decentralized and and uh, provides um, a great amount of liberty and privacy, you know, and, and that, that aspires, at the very least aspires to be unbreakable, you know, when, when, the, uh, when the FBI or, or whoever wants to show up to close an account or to freeze an account 
or to you know or or, or trace things you know that that we have to aspire to a certain level of unbreak unbreakability there of, of complete privacy and liberty because that really is the birthright of every human being and so let's let I, I say let's think of Libra as a stepping stone to get us closer mm. right so if, if there's one thing that people, folks in uh, advanced uh, economies uh, like the U.S., that is there one thing that they they don't understand uh, about the economics and how money works in South American regions where you're active? Uh, is, is there one thing that, uh, what, what comes to mind to you? Um, well, I would say one thing that people don't understand about how money works is uh, inflation and how the central banks manipulate the supply of a currency to serve their interests, the interests of uh, the, the people in power and government, the interests of uh, large corporations, which effectively are kind of cronies of the government, and that people are uh, small business owners and regular people who don't have, uh, you know, the tightest of connections to uh, the, the central government. Uh, a reality, I think, that, that, that exists in Latin America that needs to be taken into account is this, this thing where uh, the, the central governments are, it seems, uh, actively working to exclude uh, large percentages of the population from participating in what you could call the corporate sector or the white economy, which is like the officially sanctioned economy where you know large corporations and, and government departments operate. You know, if you if you a good book on this is Fernando de Soto's uh, the history no the mystery of capital. And mm -hmm. in which he basically he ran a huge campaign over decades in Peru, even running for, for president, to get the central government to, to make it less complex and less onerous for regular people to register their property with the central property registers of Peru and uh, to form businesses and be able to leverage their assets. You know, like you take the case of a farmer who has some land, he should be able to register that property and then use it as, as an asset to leverage it to get the cash he needs to plant his crops. But um, that is extremely challenging in Peru, even today, even after decades of Fernando de Soto's uh, scholarship and his, his political activism. And that's a thing we see repeated across Latin America, basic property rights and access to dispute resolution courts are not there. Uh, people are actively excluded. This is where the banking thing comes in a little bit because also it's very, it can be very hard for people to get a bank account. You know, if you can't prove that you have a job, a formal uh, job, uh, you know, and all that, you can't really get a bank account. And if you lose your job, you can lose your bank account, you know? So there are a whole bunch of obstacles that Latin American na nation states have placed in the path of people who want to better their situation in life. 
And I think that in the crypto space, we need to, uh, we, we, we need, it's really, it's to our own benefit. We can grow in the developing world in ways that we can't grow in, in the developed world. So if we can bring solutions for property rights, dispute resolution, uh, security, you know, basically the, it's kind of an anarcho-capitalist vision is basically providing the services that the state is not, is only providing to some people. Uh, if we can do all that, we can change the world starting here. Um, and I think that, that, you know, it's to our benefit. And I, I think that this is the place where the whole crypto ecosystem has to be moving. George, thank you for the refreshing perspective um, on where this market is going and everything is uh, informed by your on-the-ground experience. Um, and so uh, I think it's there's a great deal that uh, folks, people in advanced economies um, can learn um, about uh, how uh, things are, are happening on the ground there and the challenges and and also um, the uh, exciting um, and, and encouraging um, solutions that um, that teams like that yourselves are, are providing to, to people and, and uh, resolving um, addressing uh, uh, real economic needs um, and so uh, uh, we appreciate uh, your time our guest today is George Donnelly, the coordinator of Dash Latum. He's uh, currently in Colombia. George, thank you again. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. And if you want to see what we're up to, look for Dash Latam on YouTube. We have a channel full of dozens and dozens of interesting videos.